everybody. Welcome to our Season 3 Enterprise Wrap-Up. We are here to wrap up the third season of Star Trek Enterprise. And we asked on the Discord, which you can find via the link down below, and either the podcast link or the YouTube video, is the Discord channel. And uh, some of the Patreon supporters, the Captain Level, have a di- uh, ready room that they can go to, and I ask them for questions. And so we're going to start this off jumping right into it. I guess first, Clay, how are you? I'm not bad. Happy to be done with season three. Not happy about where we're ending up at the beginning of season four. <laughs> we're very far a little behind the scenes. We're very far ahead of the release schedule. We're like a month ahead uh, just because one Enterprise comes out a week and we finish the season by the time that what just came out. I think like Countdown just came out or something. Maybe even before oh, Countdown, really? the yeah. one before Countdown. So we're like four episodes ahead. Um, Is it Damage maybe or E2? No, it's what's before. It's... um. Is E squared still the one that's out there? It might still be E squared that's out. And then they get to countdown and then it's the finale and then it's this one. So that makes sense. So those are the three episodes. Um, We'll go right to the Discord questions. Jump right into it. Discord, people gave us some thoughts and some questions. Kyle Barrett says, I've recently re-listened to some early season three coverage and the podcast seemed to be hosted by this bright, young, sexy, happy pair of people who are commenting on the momentum that Zindi Ark had brought to the show, the greater focus on character, Enterprise having something to say, and even commenting on the expanse and its distorting anomalies being a metaphor for the radical change and distortion in, in the now much angry characters. But now, at the season's end, and Kyle's heard all the episodes because Kyle does the clips for me, those people are nowhere to be seen. What the fuck happened? Clay, what happened to us? Well, well, you had three kids since the start of season three, and that's <laughs> going to drain you. <laughs> it does feel like it, yeah. And honestly, it drains me just hearing about it. So, um, no, honestly, I don't know. Um, I think the last, I think season three does start off with a lot would, of Would you agree with the like, premise of the question? Do you think that we're, we're down in the dumps by the end of it? exaggeration or not um i don't i don't know i we're i think we it de- we definitely ended in a more negative place than we started let's put it that way um mm. i don't know how many clicks away from positive we are on it <clears throat> compared to the first episodes but uh yeah i think it just it's i think one of the reasons we did end up being kind of negative at the end is because the beginning of the season had such promise to it and it became fairly apparent pretty quickly that they were not really going to live up to the uh, the potential of what this plot or story um, brought to, uh, brought to the show. Um, they didn't really end up changing that much, and when they did, kind of try to get into it it just kind of dragged and became it, it they didn't they didn't commit to the story it's still they still tried to be episodic and do this serialized thing but the serialized thing was really kind of like piecemeal and they didn't really move the story along that much and you know it was just i, I think it was a lot of uh a lot of, a lot of the middle of the season um it starts to drag out the Zindi stuff. And if this season had been 12 episodes, maybe 13 episodes, it probably would be a lot tighter, but Mm -hmm. that's not how it was done then. So, yeah, there'll be another question. I can just sort of loop them in now at this point, but 
Uh, Matt Ross says, if he took out the filler episodes and then comically he lists about half the season, Extinction, Exile, Similitude, Chosen Realm, North Star, Doctor's Orders, and the weaker Zindi plot episodes like Regine, Carpenter Street, Hatchery, would the story be tighter or more interesting? Uh, I'm laughing uh, just because it's a lot of episodes to cut out. Regine. What an episode that, again, like ended with potentially like this was going to be a big deal and then it never came up maybe it came up once i guess she provided the uh carpenter the dna she's the reason for carpenter to, to detroit to yeah yeah oh yep. awesome great <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean of course it would be tighter because there are fewer episodes in it so there's less bloat so it'll seem better i think that you know people say that this show uh, or this season suffers from a kind of bloat I think it suffers from a lack of meat on the bone in the first place. And the, like the bloat is kind of mm-hmm. the least of the problems. Like even a lot of people, um, Mindy on Twitter, some people in the discord go back to the fact that if you cut out a lot of these episodes, you'd have an okay story at that point. And I think I disagree with that premise. I don't think that the Zindi mm-hmm. story is really all that interesting even if you cut away all the stuff that's like floating yeah. around it or tangential to it. I think that like the biggest problem to me and the reason that what happened to me over the course of the show is that I think I thought that coming into this, it was going to be reinvigorating for the showrunners and the production staff and everything. I think that they, it seemed with the amount of different stuff they were starting off the season with, that they would have a kind of excitement about what they were going to do with the season and that they were maybe be inspired to go in a different direction and it would shine through in the scripts and the production and everything like that. It's become pretty apparent to me just from the course of reading the oral history, which I read the enterprise section again and watching this show and all of our criticisms of the first couple seasons and then the third uh, the, there's the trope in the fandom that Braga and Berman killed Star Trek. And I don't know if that's true, but what I do think is that Braga and Berman killed Enterprise from the start. They, they're like, they're a yeah. severely disinterested showrunning team on this. And I think that Berman honestly just puts his name on the script. I think that Braga is the one who, judging by the, what how people talk about it, was Braga is the one who's actually making all the decisions, and uh, the one who is the one who needed to be the uh, sort of voice of where he wanted the show to go. And it just seems that he was burnt out from the start. Was told he didn't couldn't do the thing that he wanted to do from the start, and then was like, "Well, fuck it, I don't feel like trying anymore." And he coasted for three years and had a work process that didn't inspire uh, teamwork and was sort of burning him out because of the amount that he chose to shoulder. He was writing outlines with the writers one-on-one in their room, and all the episodes feel like it's one guy hashing out an outline over the course of things. This is the most generic Star Trek ever. I think that... I don't know if they killed Star Trek, because I think Star Trek was dying at that point anyway from oversaturation. Uh, Interestingly, now, as we have 27 active Star Trek shows, that doesn't seem to be the case. But back in the early 2000s, it was the case. There's no such thing as oversaturation anymore. No, there's too many. There's always more people looking for stuff to watch. Yeah, too many options. That's what you you saw Darren Mooney's tweet today, right, about people who watch shows on Netflix at like 1.5 speed. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of disagreed with his point about I think that's a product of people having too much stuff to watch. 
You know, you're yeah. like, I got yeah. so much to do. I got to just get through this thing to see like what's out there. I, I think that that's the Star Trek problem. But anyway, back to Berman and Braga is just, I don't think Braga ever cared about this show. I think that he didn't care about this season. And I think that, I think the, the, the main thing that I take away from these first three seasons of Enterprise and this one in particular is that there was no motivating him at this point. I think that the way that it, the way that the Zindiar comes through is a person in charge who's extremely disinterested and being redundant, uninteresting, and incredibly obvious in the stuff that he wants to do as a serial plot, not actually doing a good job with it. But that that's my hmm. that's my main takeaway here is that it's a kind of like the the interest of the people in charge is has a drastic output on what kind of show comes out of it it's the mm-hmm. i work in a hospital and the saying is always the the department is driven by the personality of the chief of that department like the chief is the one who sure. sort of sets the tone for everything sure and yeah. i think the enterprise had a lazy chief and a lazy uh top of the hierarchy and resulted in a show that was never going to be anything than just kind of a bland mediocrity, which is what season yeah. three ended up being. Well, you can kind of tell that that's what's going on because once Manny Cotto starts to uh, take the reins a bit towards the end, he's actively trying to right the ship to a certain extent. Whether or not he's successful is up for debate, I suppose. But like yeah, he's, yeah. <clears throat> he's trying to pay off um, trips make sister, sense of a eventually. lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's trying to pay stuff off. He's trying to... I mean, it, that's not to say that Braga wasn't involved in these scripts because obviously he was, but um, like it's seeing... I, I, I think it's clear seeing that Manny Cotto becomes the showrunner in season four that he was taking the reins more towards the end. <clears throat> and um, while that doesn't necessarily translate into better, quote-unquote, better episodes i think they did translate into more focused episodes as far as you can see them trying to um take the steps with this plot line to at least fucking get through it um that's what it feels like to me. yeah yeah. the, the end the end is trying to get to the end of the story really and that there's no there's not time to do anything with it which is what we complained about like the the whole season the middle episodes aren't really about the Zindi arc outside of that's happening in the background and you're trying to find them. And so when you get to the end of it, there's not really any time to say what this is about. It's that you have to close it out somehow and you have to destroy this sphere and you have to get to the end and you have to get back to Nazi Germany or whatever. And that's the, that's the real issue with trying to wrap things up in the past couple minutes of it. I mean, the Zindi are, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't think the Zindi are Daniel's level awful creations, but the Zindi are the coolest thing about the Zindi might be their name. Honestly, like I like I like the name Zindi, but I don't think there's anything that I would ever. I I can't see the Zindi coming up in any child, kind of interesting option. Go ahead, child number four, child number four, <laughs> West Zindi Teasdale. Oh, the, yeah. I mean, Lachlan's first name is Zindi Lachlan. Um, <laughs> I I don't. Like outside of the most trivial pursuit, Star Trek trivial pursuit loaded thing where you're actively hunting for trivia, I don't see mm-hmm. why the Zindi would ever be brought up in any kind of conversation or like academic video essay about Star Trek. You know, there's nothing to say about that. I would disagree with you, Kirk. 
You have never fought the Zindi <laughs> from catering. Extremely dangerous, Kirk. <laughs> I mean, honestly, honestly, best possible use of the Zindi outside right, of yeah. this season is <laughs> you are- <laughs> Star Trek Beyond. Because <laughs> you came into it later, you're like, "Wow, the Zindi sound great." And then, and again, that's my thing about their name. Their name sounds cool. The Zindi conflict sounds like a cool sure. conflict. Yeah, they're but- cool till you see what they look like. <laughs> Do you have any? Do you have any thoughts about the Zindi? I think someone had a. I think Ray here had a. Uh, with so much time this season, why do you think they spent so little time world building the Expanse and the Zindi? After twenty something episodes, we have no idea of their society or mythology, or no real concept of how their civilization lives and functions. The majority of time with them is five guys and one manatee in the recreation of Bowser's castle, talking about betrayal. The concept of coevolution of sentient species could have been fascinating. And my headcanon is that some they were some type of monolithic type event, but it was never really even explored. Nor is it even why they want to remain a unified species, given how little they all have in common with each other. Any thoughts about that or the yeah. Zindi in general as a plot device? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they uh, uh, they they spent so little time world building them, especially because like the core of the season was this new race that we've never encountered before seems to want to destroy us. Maybe we should find out why. And part of doing that is is world building and learning stuff about them. But as we said, even going into the end of the season we learned very little about them until like the last two episodes where they had these like major dialogue exposition dumps where they kind of explained the entire history in 45 seconds to a minute of dialogue information um, that ultimately isn't even relevant to the conflict of the season. It's, it's a lot of like wiki right, facts backstory. about the yeah. Zindi. Yeah. 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 I, it's, uh, um, it's, did it, did that episode remember the episode where, Archer turns into the Neanderthal guy and yeah. he goes back and he and he sees the destroyed did that ever come up again? No. Didn't they lay that out as though that was some sort of like big turning point for him or something? Well, that's when he has his first glimpse of we can't treat them like they treated us kind of oh, thing. Yeah. That was supposed okay. to be the build. For some reason, he, he... I was just going to say for some reason I feel like I, I, in my head I remembered that that city being something that was somehow tied to the Zindi plot, but I guess it wasn't. It was just... I don't think so. It was just a, a planet. Me- metaphorical thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a land of time forgot. I, I think that the biggest problem not world-building the Zindi is that... <clears throat> excuse me. To me... To me, not enough time was spent, as Ray says there, the only time you see them is when they're all in Bowser's castle talking to each other about what they're going to do and what the status of the weapon is and what's going on there. You get glimpses of the fact that they argue with each other. But to me, the only way to really make this Zindi as they're currently constructed interesting is that all of the betrayal and sort of infighting that you get in the last couple episodes has to be seen throughout the season to develop the Zindi. Yeah. I think like you, yeah. you have to get a better sense of the reptilians being uh, active to betraying people. You have to have them treating the guardians as religious deities, that there's a question about whether mm-hmm. or not they should be doing this kind of stuff. And they don't spend any time with them doing that. All they do is those constant, uh, the council chamber scenes where yeah. there's nothing interesting being said and you're not really learning anything about them. I think that there is a way to save the Zindi by throughout the season, you 
you know, maybe treat Degra like he's the lead of another show that's running in parallel with Enterprise. Like Degra is the sure. Archer version sure. of the Zindi or something like that. And you you have Zindi storylines. You learn the names of the main Zindi before the three episodes before the the, mind, yeah. the finale starts and stuff. You know, so like, it gets easier to, to keep track of them when they all have D names for some right. reason. Yeah, the, the Dolem <laughs> Dolem Jammer, whatever the other guy. And it's not even the names doesn't matter because. The female changeling was called the female changeling. That's the the name that they right. eventually yeah. gave her in DS9. Yeah. It's not that that matters, but uh, <laughs> you guys, you guys just want to go to lunch. We'll fix this later. Yeah, sure. <laughs> female Zindi. I mean, female <laughs> changeling. We'll get that one later. They made well, it to air. Uh-oh. We'll, we'll get something. We'll think of something over these uh, whoppers. I, I think that that's <laughs> that's. I still don't know what the Zindi are. Outside of that, because it comes back to our conflict. Right. There is no conflict with the Zindi outside of this lie that the sphere builders have told them. So I don't know where you'd go with that. But I think that the only way to actually develop something is to know something about those characters. But as the show's done for the past three seasons, we don't know anything about Reed, Mayweather, or Hoshi at this point. So to ask them to right. design a yeah. society seems like it's a lot for what Bragg was willing to put into it. Yeah, Um as as much as you can hide through the uh, bombastic acting of the people in the of the actors in the council room scenes, where they just say things very loudly and very uh, theatrically, and it kind of covers up the fact that they're just kind of talking about nonsense. Um, <clears throat> what you don't get is any sense really of what the politics of the Zindi are. So those scenes kind of fall flat and just feel like actors trying to convince you that this stuff is important yeah um rather than give you any insight into how the zindi operate or what their society is like i i was thinking about as you're talking i i think kind of along the same lines as what you're saying about having like a, a parallel show happening i think the way you 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 could do that is if early on or maybe like a quarter of the way through the season maybe halfway through the season you have one of the Enterprise members get captured by the Zindi. Yeah. And so you now have an Enterprise human viewpoint who gets brought back to wherever they do their whatever um, and gets to you learn about the culture through that character learning about the culture. Um, and then if you, want, if you want to play that off as though, uh, oh, Hoshi's dead. Well, it turns out Hoshi actually just got captured and she's over. Right. And so then, the, you know... Um, you can do that too for like a late season reveal for the other guys or whatever. But yeah, I think definitely what's missing from the Zindi is world. Like I feel like they tried to handle it or they, at the, at the beginning of the season, they tried to go at it from like a, we're going to just give you piecemeal information about the Zindi. So as, as, as the season goes along, there's a kind of a mystery or an air of mystery around the Zindi that we kind of like parse out as we go. But they never really did that. They did it for like maybe one or two episodes, and then it just kind of, I guess they got bored with it or something, or they couldn't figure yeah, out how to keep I don't, it interesting. I don't think they knew what the purpose was. At that. Like I, What you're saying to me is strongly what Star Trek Into Darkness and Discovery and Picard do, which is that there is no... Sure. There's no point to it, but in order to spur the story to continue, they will just kind of trickle useless information out to you to make you think that something is going to happen from all of this, and it doesn't at the yeah. end because it's just a trick to keep your interest. Like what what you need at the start of these things, what the new Trek shows need is that you have to have a 
you have to have the core reason for what the Zindi are at the start here. And you can you can right, trickle stuff right. out at that point, but knowing what is going on at the start with them and knowing basically where you're going to end up gives you an idea of what you should feed to the audience at that point. And it doesn't seem so half-assed and be like, well, okay, like now we're just bored and we're going to give up on this because we don't have enough to get information to give out. I, I just think that it's... um. It, it this the writing of this season strongly reminds me of Enterprise and Dis, uh, or of Discovery and stuff, just in how it is all kind of a shell around a hollow experience, and people can yeah. maybe dig into that, and you could you could write a really academic essay about what this all means, but I think at that point you're just digging for something that isn't there in, in a show that is right. really not subtle about anything. Like the Enterprise tells you mm. what it's doing. And I think that you could you could easily find connections and do things like that. And you can go through the, the uh, intellectual exercise of like looking for reasons that these things are happening. I don't think the show has anything there. And if it did, it would have played it better by the time it got to the end. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. I don't know uh, if you've ever seen the remake of Night of the Living Dead from 1990. Um, it was uh, directed by Tom Savini and written by George Romero, which is why it bums me out more when I think about this because the the original Night of the Living Dead is such a uh, <clears throat> great piece of genre fiction that works well in the political climate that it was created and has a lot of subtext to it that they never really talk about they never really bring it to the surface they don't it it's it's all all the information all the subtext all the metaphor if you want to say that is gleaned from from the story that's being told they're they're never looking at the camera and saying what's going on yeah in the remake which was also written by romero there's a scene at the end where the one character whose remains is walking around looking at all the humans treating the zombies like like trash basically or or like they're being as monstrous as the zombies are and she all but looks in camera when she goes they're us their zombies are just like us and it's like yeah man they do that without words in the original don't they there's uh don't they have at the end of the original? They're piling up the bodies and things like that, aren't they? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. They, it's just without yeah, stating they, it they what shoot, the purposes. Yeah, right. They shoot the last guy. Yeah, they shoot the last survivor, and it's this really dark ending or whatever. And it's just like talk about just hitting the nail with a hammer the size of Jupiter, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. and I think that's that's the problem in this show as well. Is like they are not subtle about anything they're doing. They're they're basically looking into the camera and giving you the theme of the episode, which yep. can become tiring. Um, and just to to jump back to to the problems with the Zindi real quick, um, I think they shoot themselves in the foot a bit as well because um, the the Enterprise crew is essentially playing catch up in a way that the audience uh, they're trying to catch up to the audience basically because they they present the Zindi to Enterprise as a mysterious entity that, like I said, they're kind of like piecemealing out until they decide they don't want to do that anymore. But the season opens with a Zindi council sequence. So there's really no mystery to the Zindi at that point as far as like, I wonder what these guys are about. And Mm -hmm. I, I feel like those two things don't 
track with each other because if you're trying to play it as a mystery about this new mysterious enemy who oh you find out that maybe they're not as malicious as as you think they are but then maybe it's just a misunderstanding or whatever <clears throat> but you also show what they look like you show the the council sequence the very first thing in the season then it just feels it feels like your characters are playing catch up which is never fun to watch yeah one of the first things they reveal about the Zindi to the Enterprise crew is that the, it's the five species thing. And the crew talks about that. They're like, wow, what a crazy thing to have five different looking guys. Who can tell what a Zindi is? Um, I think that ties into the whole, the Zindi are just exposition Wikipedia factoids instead of like a right, an entity. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's interesting how opposite they are from the Dominion because I would argue you at, by the end of DS9, you kind of know relatively little about the dominion except for what they think about like how to how to go about war and stuff like that basically like you you don't know you know you, you don't know anything about like the Jemadar Vorta stuff like there's no there's no weird facts that you just learn about these guys that's out of like stuff that propels the story the changelings are still mysterious and just kind of vague shapeshifters that you know that's what it is but Enterprise did the opposite where they they give you a little bit of the start and then they really dump it on you at the end. Just kind of random facts about like the the aquatics like to be on time and they they take a long time to yeah. to decide what they want to do and it's like the the insectoids like to argue and it's like okay yeah. like what does this have to do with the story? You're giving me a whole bunch of information, but I just think it's funny how it's a complete opposite where all you know about the Dominion is what their ethos is and like what they think about uh reality and the zindi you don't know mm-hmm. what they think about reality but you know what kind of food they all like to eat at the end of the day you know right yeah it suffers a bit from uh <clears throat> here's another <laughs> here's another reference you probably weren't expecting to hear on a star trek show uh it suffers from this one goes to 11 disease a little bit mm. if you remember that scene from star from uh, spinal tap <clears throat> when he says this one this amplifier it goes all the way to 11 it's like oh that's kind of cool and then marty de says well why don't why don't you just make 10 the loudest and then that can be the loudest. And then he just kind of looks at him and goes, well, this one goes to 11. So it's not, there's no, there's no explanation as for the practicality or, or why that's important or what that means. <laughs> right. It's, it's just, just important that it goes it's, to 11. It's just cool that it yeah. goes to 11. Yeah. <laughs> it's one louder. Um, yeah. It's one louder. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that is the problem with them. Um, Honestly, I was a little bit surprised based on, and I know it's a Star Trek y, it's like Twitter Star Trek stuff, but the, the Zindi were kind of a known quantity to me before this. Like the name, I knew the name and I knew that they had a season dedicated to them. So I'm I'm honestly surprised by the time we got to the end of this how lacking in development they are. Like they're they're probably yeah. for the amount of screen time one of the least developed species that the show has ever created. And which is yep really kind of startling. Um, you get more out of like obvious ones are like Bajorians, Cardassians, like the Borg have more in their five appearances or whatever than that. Like there's, there's a lot yeah, done in yeah. that amount of time. I feel like one off alien species you get more about like the inner light aliens, you know, they made a mm-hmm. thing to remember their culture by and they implant the memory into people's lives and make them live on forever. It's like, the, the Zindi are just like they like to argue. What are you gonna do? Yeah. They like to show up on time. It's like, well, all right, see ya, bye. The reptilians don't get the, in the middle of a Zindi argument because <laughs> it, it, you'll be there all day. Those reptilians, ugh. even the re- the reptilians are just um, 
mustache twirling villains. I think the show makes an effort at saying they're devout, but I think that even by the end of the last episode, <laughs> the reptilians are no longer devout. They are, we want to be the in charge. We want to win. And so yeah. we're going to do this mission. Honestly, honestly, it would have been more interesting if uh, Degra's buddy or the wolfman looking guy ended up turning on the Enterprise or something mm-hmm. and, and not make the ones who look evil be the evil ones. <laughs> you know like yeah a little bit of surprise it just would have been yeah it would have been something different or you know you could get into some ethos from that angle if you wanted to or whatever i don't know it's just it plays out so so fairly predictably as far as who the bad guys are and yeah i don't know i guess we can talk about the enterprise crew uh before we wrap up and everything so what we learned about the enterprise because we talked about the zindi and the general sense of failure of this season as a arc or at least i consider it to be a failure um i think the strongest stretch of this episode was from azadi to forgotten which is where the ship gets attacked then it's a damage is the middle episode where tapal's drug addiction comes into play but like the ship being damaged mm-hmm. is kind of neat and then the forgotten episode, which is what we consider to be one of the strongest ones, which is Trip having dreams about his sister um, and the dead crewman that he has to write the letter for, and everything like that. That was yeah. that was good. What's tough is you can't really stretch that stuff into a season, so it feels appropriate that it's like a three arc, three episode arc in the middle of the the story. Outside of that, I don't think I've learned. I don't think there's anything else going on. Kyle here asks, uh, Clay, quick, I'll just say it because I was thinking about it. Clay, name a scene with Mayweather this season. What's the first Mayweather uh, scene that pops in your head? Where he has dialogue or just... Uh, <clears throat> he has to do something, I suppose. Yeah, so maybe dialogue is be the... Oh, when... Um, when in the dream episode, when... Uh, when T'Pol takes over the ship, I think he gets blown up, and then he's not in the rest. In the, of the, in the, in the, the alternate, the alternate future, Twilight, right? In the Where alternate, ti- the the alternate future. I think he gets blown up. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. A scene with Mayweather where he actually, yeah, he. Uh, I think I. Oh, at one point, I think in one of the last couple episodes, <clears throat> he gets an order, and I think he turns and he goes, "Are you sure?" <laughs> And then he goes, follow the order. And then that's it. <laughs> that, he does. Uh, that is one. The only one, the first one that popped in my head, and there's a few more as I think about it, but the first one that popped in my head is he was present in the, uh, when him and Hoshi were talking in E squared about why Reed is, doesn't have a family yes, in the future. That's right. Yep. He was. <laughs> yes. He's not, he's not a key cog to that, but he is in that scene talking to Hoshi. Um, I remember him getting, he his, made sure to find out exactly who he had chances right. with when it came yep. down to uh, to hitting the sheets. He, narrow, he narrowed down the field by looking at the future timeline and deciding what he was going to do. The Makos uh, kicked the shit out of him in one episode. He was like the training dummy <laughs> they, they beat up to show, right. yep. to show their dominance. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, he dies in Twilight, and he doesn't even transform in stuff like Extinction. He's not like, a, you know, he's I don't know what he does mm. in Extinction, but he's nowhere and he's not on the planet. It's a good question. What a but- man! Uh, just such a. I still get I still get annoyed that they went and created Daniels instead of taking someone like him and giving him something interesting to do. I know. As much as I as much as I hate Daniels, 
if if you replaced Daniels with Mayweather, it makes it like a hundred times better, even if it still sucks. Yeah, just to have at least it at least it's in house, you know. It's in house. It gives Mayweather something to do. I we pick on Mayweather, but I I think Hoshi suffers the same fate. Hoshi has her kid get kidnapped plot, but what else does Hoshi do mm-hmm. in this season? Um, Reed. Uh, doesn't she she doesn't she go and live with the beast or is that season two? Oh, that is this season. Exile. She lives with the beast. So yeah. she has a she has a story, I guess, a season and doesn't, uh, an episode. Doesn't Mayweather get a whole episode with him and his family, or is that season, season two? Season two. That's season two. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't get anything. Uh Hoshi gets a few I think Reed gets the middle amount out of everybody because he has his psychosexual tension with Hayes before Hayes dies. Mm-hmm. Um and then he goes, he takes over the Makos and freeze the freeze archer or whatever at the end um where do we stand out with the cast at this point i think this is the weakest collection of characters after three seasons that any star trek show has had like easily yeah. easily 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 i think the actors are all decently good for the most part like i think well i think bacula is miscast but i don't think he's a bad actor yeah um Trip is is very good. Uh, what the hell? Jolene Blaylock is good as to Paul for the most part. Um, Reed is good. Hoshi's good. Mayweather's good. They like they don't have a lot to do, so maybe it's tough to tell whether or not it they is. Can, it is tough to tell how much they can do. But uh, I think I think as far as acting talent, it's probably one of the stronger casts overall. Um, I would Although say it's it's a, it's a kind of a law of averages. Yeah. I would say that none of them are standouts in the way that I see standouts yeah. in the yeah. other casts, like Renee yeah. Aubergine, yeah, like you, mm-hmm. you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, you don't got you don't have. There's not really, there's not really a Picard. Well, it's tough because the TNG, TNG made up for. I don't want to say lack of talent because everybody on that show did what they did very well. Yeah, but there's only one Patrick Stewart on that show. Um, Spiner, I would I say Spiner, Brent Spiner, Brent yeah, Spiner yeah. yeah. Um, but everybody else made up for it by having interesting characters, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they gave them <laughs> yeah. stuff to do. They differentiated them. They had they had all had their own personal uh, quirks and 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 storylines and things that they were into. Yeah, which goes a long way. I mean, you can have the greatest actor in the world on Enterprise if you're not if he's playing Mayweather, right? You know, who, who can you can have Daniel Day Lewis play with Mayweather? And it, <laughs> you wouldn't. It wouldn't come across that you're watching Daniel Plainview here. You know, I would. I would love to see uh, Daniel Day. Just re, he's <laughs> the show stays exactly the same. It says Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, Here's a question. giving the most Here's incredible reads of yes, sir. <laughs> Here's a question for you and and for the crowd. Actually, Daniel Day Lewis was in uh, the Bounty, the Mutiny mm-hmm. and the Bounty movie with uh, Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins. Probably the closest he'll ever be to being in a Star Trek movie, and he was good in that. Yeah. Um, but if you had to put Daniel Day Lewis on Star Trek in some fashion, is he a Starfleet guy, or is he a villain, or is he a friendly alien like a Vulcan or something? <laughs> I'd love to see his Vulcan. Pro- I think he would be. When you started saying it, I was thinking he would. He has to be an officer somehow mm-hmm. i'm trying to think where he would fit he's i think he'd be a great chief engineer for some reason i, th- Ooh, I think he'd, interesting i think okay. he'd be a really good 
engineer character. I don't know why. I might be thinking a lot of Daniel Plainview. Like I imagine him talking like that. Um, I would love a Star Trek with Daniel Plainview as the engineer of the starship. (laughs) (laughs) Coming coming up with all sorts of uh, coming up with all sorts of uh, milkshake based metaphors for why the warp core is over. It's just a a long extended scenes of the camera focusing on him as he explains how he's going to fix their oil digging technology to this town of people (laughs) who are just in the background. The captain, everyone else is sitting uh, off off camera and stuff. I've abandoned my ship. I've abandoned my ship. (laughs) I'm finished. Um, yeah. <laughs> where do you think you would fit in? Would you want him to be a, I, I mean, I was thinking Admiral, but I think he's, mm-hmm. I don't think an Admiral is right for him. It's an interesting question though. He's, he's tough. Cause like, I feel like he could be a good Starfleet officer, but I almost feel like you're, you're wasting him at that point. Cause like, yeah. would you, yeah. I think, I think Daniel Day Lewis playing a Vulcan would be the best Vulcan you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. Um, it might actually be like too good. For mm-hmm. the for the screen, because I mean, he can he could probably still emote and get across so much without actually you know showing free emotion. Yeah, yeah, without free basing. Yeah, um, he I think he would be a fantastic villain as well. Like if you he had would a, be a if good, he was a, a Romulan yeah. or a Klingon or something, that would be fantastic. Yeah, Cardassian. Feel- he oh he would be amazing. He'd be a good. He'd be a okay, good Cardassian. Next yeah. next movie. I hope Matt Shackman is listening to this. Uh, Chris Pine era cast Daniel Day Lewis as uh, Gul Dukat or a, mm-hmm. a similar oh uh, the, the mirror Kelvin version of uh, Dukat or something like that yeah 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 what it would be like it would be Dukat's father or something that would make some weird connection sure yeah I could see that I think that'd be good the Cardassians are just wrong for the Kelvin universe aren't they they're like the, they're not the yeah. right ones unfortunately this is too bad I'm telling you telling you kelvin crew versus the borg it'd be fun you that's what those money movies at are. that point yeah You're printing movies yeah uh kyle says remember when they spent an episode taking apart a reptilian gun that shoots boogers and it never came back i do remember <laughs> sure that <they> did. <laughs> what, what is shocking is i want to know I, how it works damn it i, I would have I bet okay. my life at that point that they were going to develop technology to beat the zindi that way and it's really anti Anti-Zindi booger technology. It's it's just like a salt gun. You know those guns that you salt to take out bugs or something, or just be, oh yeah, that there kind you of go, thing. yeah, um, yeah. Those, that would work great against the insectoids. I mean, honestly, we should go back and revise that podcast because we were operating under the assumption that spending twenty minutes of an episode taking apart a gun was going to like amount to something down the line. And I, I should so, dock yeah. at a point. Yeah, I don't remember what Check episode out that booger is. Booger gun. I don't know. Um, I don't think there's any other questions. I put up the slates, just the series Zindi. Um, I don't believe you mentioned the fact that in season one is when we hear Reed mention his love of T'Pol's rear end. And this season, we finally get a glimpse of it. Did the writers foreshadow its appearance? Is it a Chekhov's bum? <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is a Chekhov's bum. Was that Jolene Blaylock's ass, too? I don't think that's ever been acceptable. I don't know. Too. I've never asked her. I'll ask her the next time I see her. Let's have to check on memory alpha. Um, that's pretty much it for the questions. I don't think anyone else had anything to say about it, but we're also, again, ahead of schedule, so people don't really know what our thoughts are. Um, we can quickly go through the best and the worst of the season. We won't break this down, but based on our rankings, Clay, averages, best episode, can you remember? 
Um, the best episode, I feel like, is probably the one with Trip, where he has to write the letter. No. If I had to pull it out of thin air. This no. is the problem with our ratings. When we got to that one, we said that was the best. But you gave similitude oh, a five, which caused us to... Similitude takes the first uh, spot in this. Here's, which one here's is something that? that uh, the clone, Sim. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have it ranked similitude. Number two is the forgotten. Which I would I would I would say is my favorite, but we're going by the number ranking here. So Similitude, the Forgotten. Three is Damage. Four is Proving Ground, which is the one where Shran shows up for the first point in the expanse and they get into that argument with him. And then five is the cowboy one, North Star. Interestingly. That sneaks in as our number five. The worst. Number you five what the best? Those are the five best. Really? Similitude, the Forgotten, Damage, Proving Ground, and North Star. Oh, I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Marauders. I was like, how the fuck did that get in the top five? (laughs) That's our worst from the previous season. Do you know what the worst episode is this year? Marauders is this this Magnificent Seven episode, right? Yeah, which is in the second season. We gave it the worst. It's the second worst of our second season episodes. Yeah, Uh, The worst of this season. We both gave it a one. It's the only one that we both gave ones this episode. There have been four ones in Enterprise. We gave three in a row in season two. And season three got one one for both of us. Is it the the egg juice episode? No, we talked about it earlier. They regime paid it off slightly. Oh, oh, Carpenter, Carpenter Street. Street. Carpenter yeah. Street was our our worst one. We both gave it a one. After that, this is where we get kind of interesting. Uh, there's a little bit we can talk about. I gave it to zero hour because. Looking at the other contenders, Zero Hour is the finale that we just did. Mm-hmm. The other ones, looking back, I would have rather watched all of the other ones again than Zero Hour. Um, I was really, really? bored by Zero wow. Hour. So yeah. some examples are Extinction I put after it, which is the uh, is that- alien shape-changing, ch- turned into aliens episode on the planet. Sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. The Hidden City episode. Exile, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is the Hoshi episode where she meets the alien. And then mm-hmm. Regine would be number five. Yeah. Because that one was just kind of boring. Um, there's It's some order of those. The other options would be Hatchery and Doctor's Orders, but I thought that both of those were more memorable. Hatchery is the Hatchery. egg one and Doctor's Orders is the uh, the one where everyone goes to bed and Flocks is awake <laughs> on the ship. Right, right, yeah. Um, I think it's the same problem we had as last year which is that i can easily pick the best and the worst all kind of blend together for me on this show yeah yeah but that's it carpenter street is the worst zero hour extinction exile and rasion here's the thing to talk about i gave a 2.64 season one 2.73 season two and season three for me gets a 2.83 average score so it's the best of the enterprise seasons you went <laughs> 2.68 in season one Two point seven three, mm-hmm. the same as me in season two. We both had the same score. Is what's interesting about your scores in season four? You gave it a three point one three. You you jumped wow. significantly right. higher in season four. Like sti- okay. statistically significant a leap here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the equivalent of changing something like eight episodes one level higher than you did in season three. Okay. Um, would you stand by that? Does that seem right to you? Is this season a drastic improvement over Enterprise? Uh, Is this the best season I mean, of Enterprise? 
is this the I, probably yes i would say yes um yeah i th- i think it's the first the first season where they're kind of allowed to do anything with the with the characters even if they they're kind of uh taken a while to do it but i think the stuff that well to be fair it's not even it's not even they don't even do stuff with all the characters it's basically just tripping to paul that they're doing stuff with yeah um, angry archer and I, guess. I think i think yeah archer and reed you know pulling up the rear there um i'd I say think, all unsatisfied uh, yeah just just not not yeah no, i don't yeah, think i think so i don't think any character this season i'd go that was a good arc for that person, I think Trips is the most complete. But I wouldn't even be like, "Wow, that was yeah, that was profound or that was interesting." I wouldn't say that about his arc. Trip, Trip almost sticks the landing, but doesn't quite get there. But the other ones just kind of trip over the vaulting bar a bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think the stuff they do with Trip is is great. Uh, but yeah, it's not. I wouldn't call it a full arc because it doesn't. I mean, it kind of gets there, but. It feels like it's a little bit forced when he he just kind of like changes his mind after talking to Degra for five minutes. Um, but I think it's still the... more. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say it's still more character work than really anybody gets to do in either of the other seasons up to that point. I think I posted on the Discord or Instagram or something, but in the oral history, Kodo takes a swing. He's like, I would what I would do differently in season three. He's like, I think all the character motivations were wrong. I don't really know what the, mm-hmm. Reed was thinking, and Archer was angry all the time, and Trip was just whatever he was. But his idea to fix season three was he would have had Trip be the angry character instead of Archer, and so Trip is the one who, an anomaly, threatens to throw the guy out of the airlock because he's like, "Tell us where this India is," and Archer has to run in and be like, "Trip, this is how we do things like this," and eventually, right. over the course of the season the ship would splinter into two factions, which is a mutinous section led by Trip and then Archer trying to hold control of the... So, and, and the way that we would talk about Trip would almost become the leader of the Mako crew who were more militaristic mm-hmm. and sort of focused on the end goal and Archer would be the one uh, in the other side. That's clearly a better way to fix this because a lot of the character motivations this season are just not defined or like this it comes back to the laziness of it it's like archer's angry but what does that mean what does that accomplish anything yeah. trip is angry at the start but he kind of mellows out until we need to remember that his sister died and then he gets angry again at the very end of degra and we close things out like that and the other the the final point about the laziness of it is that um i think kyle was saying earlier that Enterprise's third season arc actually ends in the council, which is two episodes before the end. So we have two episodes of action that wrap everything out. And the council is where Archer shows up and he talks to the Zindi and they work out their problems. And then it's like, oh, here's the true villainy that's coming through. I would agree with that. I would just say that it speaks to the problems of the season for me that the resolution with Archer talking to the Zindi is so forgettable and boring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's it's not there's nothing there for him to do. And what should be a moment of catharsis and Archer gives a great speech in the middle of the council room floor or whatever. And all the Zindi stand up and applaud or something like that. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything to say. I don't think Bakula is the right character to do it, but it's also Archer as a character doesn't have, he doesn't have anything to say to them. That's motivating or emotional or anything. They just insert that gif from Endgame of the Hulk going time travel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just hands out that's true it's true i don't think i have anything else to say about that was that leading to a question i can't remember where we were 
Oh, just the characters. If you have any th- final thoughts about the characters, I guess that's it. Otherwise, we're done. Um, I don't ever want to see Daniels ever again. Yeah. I wonder if we do I ho- see Daniels. I hope he doesn't come back. I hope not. He's terrible. <clears throat> we talked about that in he's the previous really episode. So we, we don't need yeah. to rehash it, but he's a real awful character. <laughs> the Temporal yeah. Cold War is two again, episodes Again, that's like left. another... Ugh. It's just another example of, of something where it's like, all right, here's kind of a cool a cool idea that we had from the start. Can't wait to see what we do with this. And then it's like, oh, shit, uh, we get nothing. And then it's they a, just kind of it just kind of limps along because they have to do stuff with it for some reason. It's really obvious when <clears throat> there's no. It's interesting because I know that we were talking about like people like um, Sean Cordy, like when the series are all plotted out before that and like the, the scripts are at least outlined or whatever. And you know what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel. Would you agree that a lot of modern shows, even like network shows I never get this sense of purposelessness in things that are introduced in shows these days. You know what I mean? Like I feel the good like this ones. Is, yeah, yeah. Would you say that they still stick around in bad ones? I think even in bad ones, I feel like when they introduce something, there's like a purpose to they understand where this is going to go, even if it's like a terrible thing that they decide to do with it. But in these enterprise and early '90s syndicated shows, I feel like there's a lot of examples of just they throw something in with no idea what they want to do with it. And it's really obvious that they don't know what they want to do with it. And it just kind of falls by the wayside. It's a, it's probably just a byproduct of the production where they didn't really have a break between things, but it's, I feel like yeah. it's a, I feel like it's one of the ways the TV is drastically improved is that there, there doesn't seem this kind of um, randomness to the way that things are introduced into shows anymore. Yeah. I honestly don't know because uh, um, I wonder if just the, the, they're just better at hiding it. Mm. Because I think about, I remember I was listening to Damon Lindelof talking about Watchmen, and Watchmen. I, I might have mentioned this the last time we were talking about this kind of thing. Watchmen seems like the kind of show that was all written beforehand, like they had everything mapped out. But apparently, that was not the case. And um, like uh, they introduced this idea of Jeremy Irons' character in this other place. And eventually he has to get back to where all the action's happening. And they introduce this element in the first episode that ends up being the root, at least partially part of the root that gets him to where he needs to go in the finale. Yep. And they didn't know that when they introduced this element in the first episode. It was just something that they were kind of trying to figure out, okay, shit, how the hell do we get him back to where he's got to go? Oh, wait, we've got this thing that was there the whole time looking at us right in the face and it just clicks in. So I don't know if they're yep. just better at hiding it or just may, maybe like, <clears throat> I, like, cause that's why I wonder when you get sh- shows like this it, it or, or that do this kind of stuff, it always feels like they, they maybe, maybe this is kind of what you're saying. It feels like they know what pieces they want to, to look at harder but they don't necessarily know why they're looking at them so hard, if that makes sense. So, like, they're Do laying some stuff out. You mean in a good example like, or a, a bad, like, a good example of that working or, ba- like, an Enterprise example or a Watchmen episode example? I would say e- either way. I mean, okay. just this idea of you, you're talking about modern shows. They put things out there with more purpose than they than they did previously. Yeah. I wonder if it's just, like, they they are playing a game of Clue, and they know what 
the pieces are. They know the rooms. They know the the murder weapons. They know the characters, but they don't know exactly how those things all go together yet. Yeah. And so they know the stuff they're going to lean on. They know the stuff they're going to focus on. They know the stuff they're going to call out. It's like, all right, this is going to, something's going to happen with this. We'll figure it out later, but this is the thing we want to introduce. So I think there might be, I think there's probably a better handle on that stuff now maybe than there was before. But it, it is so different though, because that stuff really only comes up in an era of serialized shows, which when Enterprise was on, it was fairly still not very well-worn territory as far as that's i mean it was more well-worn than it was in you know 1992 when x-files and uh twin yeah, peaks were on T- but, tng and everything yeah yeah um but it's still i think i think we're so it's it's such the norm at this point to tell those kinds of stories that it's kind of difficult that's just i think they're just more used to do it to playing with those elements than they used to be yeah yeah it's probably true it's just it it makes it Yeah, I, I guess another way to look at it would be like maybe at the dawn of this stuff in shows that were like Enterprise doing 20-something episodes a season, there was also working from the old understanding of maybe the audience just won't pay attention to this because they're not used to tracking things, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time. So it's like, ah, we just brought it, just uh, forget it. Like, don't even don't even write about it anymore. Where in an era of lower episode counts in a season, and I would argue probably smarter audiences at least in terms of like how they watch tv like or what what they expect from tv it's mm-hmm. unforgivable at this point to do what enterprise did with something like um archer's characterization or trips like lack of motivation for an extended period of time to to mm-hmm. go into things like that that seems to be what it would be um especially now especially now um I think one of the unfortunate, or maybe I don't know. It depends on how you how much you enjoy this stuff. One of the byproducts of the era we're in now is that you can't put and you can't put you can't let the camera hang on any detail without people assuming this is an integral part of the story that's going to yeah. come back in some form later. Even yeah. if it's even if it's the most inconsequential thing, that becomes the key to to everything and it's i i i find that to be a bit tiring personally yeah because i'm the kind of person who just likes to let the story hit me and then i can digest it later um so i covering people the seem to really enjoy that. so tiring because it's constant speculation yeah. i mean some shows bring it on themselves i think i think it's i think the show can be clear about whether or not it's setting up a mystery or not. I think that shows are like yes, capable yes, to yeah. do that to the audience. And I think that some shows like Discovery wants you to think there's a mystery. So they will hang on things like that and make you speculate about what that would be. And it's, it's kind of unfair and tiring as you say. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the, the difference of things. I guess we're done with that. Season three of Enterprise. We're on to season four, the final season of Star Trek Enterprise. We're almost done with it. Uh, a new showrunner, Manny Cotto, takes over. We have a couple episodes. We have a two-parter opening up the next episode, Stormfront Part 1 and 2. We're going to be covering it in one podcast. Just so, wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to... I was going to make a joke about uh, <clears throat> the modern use of the term stormfront, but then I realized it's because of the way That's they use it, it in this, where it's That's yeah, what... referential to the Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> it is. We got Nazis, so we're going to be doing our new our, our new rule, which is old because 
I don't know. We haven't had a two-parter in Enterprise yet, which is why oh, it feels sure. like that yeah, we okay. haven't done this in a long time. But Enterprise doesn't do two-parters really, except for the um, uh, season one and two. The season ender of one into two was a two-parter, but we always break those up into two sections anyway. Um, so two episodes of Stormfront, and then they go home after that. It's the title of the episode, Home. Um, cool. And then there's like 18 episodes in the fourth season, so it's pretty short. Uh, that's it. Star Trek Enterprise's third season is done. Support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file if you're so interested. We will have... When is this coming out? This comes out like mid-August. So we'll, we'll be talking about our plans for coverage of Star Trek coming up, the new shows and everything like that. We'll make a decision about how we're going to do that. You guys will be aware at this point because we'll probably let you know. And I guess that's it for me. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, we'll keep on trucking with uh, Rotten Horror Picture Show. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Badass. Badass is going to be uh, – I think it's going to be a shorter season. We're, we're almost, at least recording-wise – over the halfway point, there's only a handful of episodes left. Um, and then I think we'll be on to uh, uh, Batman Beyond in some form. I haven't decided how much of a break we're going to take after we're done. But, uh, yeah, we've, we'll we'll do the usual thing. We take a break, do a mid-season movie. special episode or whatever, movie or whatever. How many episodes and, is uh, Batman Beyond? Is that Batman. like a full TV show? <clears throat> yeah, it's like uh, three or four seasons, I think. It's, oh, a, it? it's a solid run, yeah. So you'll be, uh, yeah, you can do a movie or something. People on Patreon, I think, I don't know if I told you this, so I apologize if it didn't. Um, they, were, they were interested in the uh, the Batman movies, like the starting with 89 into the Schumacher oh, really? era okay. and stuff like that. So okay. um, yeah. just to put that out for you, if you wanted to use sure. one, of those, one or two of those as a break in between seasons. Yeah, yeah, that would, that would be fun. Yeah, I think that's that's territory we haven't we've we've danced around that stuff a lot but we've never actually covered it so i think that would be fun to do so and then uh ron horror is out there what's Mm -hmm. the next ron Mm -hmm. horror i think you said it it's jennifer's body's Um, this and you'll have one more i think after that jennifer's body should be out at this point and then uh american werewolf in london is the one after that Um, yeah that's probably we're still continuing our Friday the Thirteenth series on Patreon. Uh, we this month we covered Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Jason takes Manhattan, or Jason takes Vancouver via a boat from <laughs> some. For some reason, Crystal Lake has an outlet into the Atlantic Ocean, which can get them to New York. Manhattan. Um, yes. What is it? Is that guy's name Kane Hodder? Who plays? Is that his name? Yes. Yes. I was looking at his Wikipedia. You know, fantastic name for just like a character like it's a character name that's yeah. like sounds like the character in one of these movies it's like oh you that's who daniel j lewis would play he played kane yes. hodder on the- <laughs> yes cardassian <laughs> gull uh kane hodder <laughs> the um the oh i was looking at his uh wikipedia page he's apparently i don't know if this would devastate your opinion he's apparently a huge juggalo Loves insane clown posse. Does he really? Goes, no goes kidding. To their, goes to their concerts all the time, and it's on his Wikipedia, so it must be true. But good for know. him. Yeah. Remember, remember the 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 innocent days of about five or six years ago when the the Juggalos were classified as like a a gang. A or gang something about, yeah. The they made government. the uh, they made the Southern Poverty Law Center's uh, terrorist organizations. Yeah, yeah, that was a terrorist organization. Yeah, God. 
longing for the days when the only thing we had to worry about were juggalos. Like Eminem feuded with them for a little bit. Like I don't know how you consider that a feud. His 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 uh, rap was a million times superior to whatever the fuck Insane Clown Posse spat back out at him. But um, yeah, they're just a. Uh, they have staying power though. I don't. I don't know any yeah, jugglers, got, so I don't know what where it comes from. Yeah, I don't know. They've got Math. their they've got their fans, and their fans seem to be very Dedicated. very intensely loyal to them. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, good good and bad, I suppose. A lot of uh, it should have been the, the the first the first inkling of the populist revolution we've been going through in the past five years. The only way to make this to Paul's storyline is after she starts smoking crack, it just listens to insane clamps. <laughs> she walks into the <laughs> she walks onto the bridge. The next the next time they're having dinner in Archer's place, she asks the computer for a glass of Fago. <laughs> <laughs> Little subtle hints. Just drop just drop in the pop culture. Because I'm sure they were starts, around when these episodes are coming out. Yeah, she starts calling Captain Archer my my ninja. <laughs> You know a lot about the insane clam posse, Clay. I'm gonna I'm gonna end the show right here before we get ourselves in trouble. You know, I, I that seems like something a show like Lower Decks would do. Like if you imagine, yeah. the idea of being that far into the future and looking back into the past history of of, of Earth, having a character like T'Pol clue in on something ridiculous like the insane clown posse. <laughs> I think Lower Decks would be I, the. We always make fun of how Star Trek. Uh, just sticks with like royalty free music at this point, but like lower decks can be yeah. like the finest music of the era was the insane clown yes. posse, <laughs> whose whose records have lasted and spread throughout the galaxy at this point. And it's like you see a whole planet mm-hmm. full of juggalos like painted with their faces up and stuff like that. Like, that why would not? Be amazing. The writers yeah. are scared of the terrorist organization known as Clown Posse or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hear, we're going to hear from all three of our ICP listening listeners, uh, I would assume, at this point. Which is good. Big wrestling I don't know fans, anybody. too. Yeah, they like wrestling. Been watching yeah. a lot of wrestling on um, YouTube recently. Biggest the, thing uh, I've learned? Uh, attitude era, my, my era. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, biggest thing I've learned, I undervalued Kurt Angle who is possibly mm. a five-tool wrestler, and I was unaware that he was maybe the greatest wrestler that I was watching while he was in WWE. Yeah, he could he do the good. promos. I, I, he could wrestle. Yeah. He could talk on the mic. His song was great. He had a great entrance. <laughs> yep, yep. Everything he you fully need. embraced the entire crowd chanting, you suck at him in, in time with his song. It was so good. He was there the entire time. He never changed his gimmick. He was still the same yeah. thing the entire time, and it yeah. lasted and it worked the entire time. You, you suck yeah. at a little bit of annoying, but he was um, he wrestled and he Andy was a. He's like in basketball. It's like the the five tool guy who can defend anybody. It's like a center who can defend a point yeah. guard is yeah. highly versatile and necessary and like very useful. He could wrestle small guys. He could wrestle big guys, and it all looked believable. Mm. For for it, like he was yeah. good at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was a legitimate gold medal, gold medalist yeah, wrestler. He was, he yeah, was a real deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. hasn't uh hasn't aged well now. Now he looks strange. He's like all body. He has these little spindly he, arms and legs, and he's all body. It's really weird looking. He he walks like a marionette now. Yeah, like he's got like a certain like 
frozen bend to his arms and, and legs. Where he I, just, I think he's broken. I think it's, yeah, I think it's... Oh, <laughs> very, oh yeah, big time. He's, big time. He, physically, he's just, he's thick-bodied, but he has these yeah, tiny little arms and legs neck. at this point. Yeah, big neck and stuff. It's I don't know if uh, it's a... I won't draw any conclusions or if it was just a byproduct of his, maybe that's his natural frame that allowed for actual wrestling to be good we, at. We watched, um, geez, a couple of years ago at this point, we watched, you ever see the movie Warrior with uh, uh, Joel Egerton and Tom Hardy as the MMA brothers? Uh, it sounds familiar. I don't think I've seen it though. It's a good movie. And they fight this guy. This like the big bad of the, 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 the top cage guy that they have to fight. Uh, in this tournament is this Russian dude. He's big Russian dude. And I'm watching this. I'm going, man, he kind of looks like Kurt Angle. It is Kurt Angle. And he is terrifying in that movie. <laughs> like, I don't know what he did to his body, but he like just shredded himself in a way where he looked well, just enough different, or maybe it was old enough that I, I was only familiar with like modern Kurt Angle. Yeah. But yeah. I, it took me like two or three scenes with him to realize it was actually Kurt Angle. Is he playing a Russian accent or something? Yeah, he's got pretend- like two lines. <laughs> yeah, okay, he's, he's pretending to be Russian. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was he was uh, he was a good wrestler. Uh, good for the good wrestler in the sense of just the five tool player for everything. I underappreciate. You know, uh, not not to keep this wrestling podcast on our Star Trek show going, but um, I. It, the attitude error is really interesting because there's I, I I saw on Twitter one time years ago someone asked the question can you think of a modern could you, can you think of a a uh, uh, a media a modern media f- format or outlet that has become less violent as time has gone on and I immediately thought wrestling absolutely mm-hmm. because at a certain point they I think when the the company went public WWE very much turned into like a PG type show for the most part. Yeah. And if you look at what they do now versus what they were doing in the attitude era, holy shit. They were doing absolutely everything they could to get a rise out of people in multiple ways. And it was it's just like you I can't even imagine them doing anything like that now. I was watching um the algorithm just pointed me towards the uh the Pro, sort of promo post post match thing where the Austin created his like 316 thing. Oh sure. And, yeah. And the the context of it is he beats Jake the Snake Roberts who whose gimmick at that time was I guess he's a born again Christian who was like a Bible yeah, thumper yeah. and would sort of come to the ring and try to evangelize and convert each other. But Austin's mm-hmm. promo is basically making fun of evangelicals for a couple minutes and being like, mm-hmm. and then just being like, you can come down here, don't your John 316, well, Austin 316 says I just whooped your ass. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's I wouldn't say it's offensive, but I was like, wow, this is like somewhat edgy for yeah. that kind of like that time, especially that time because that was early 90s. That was like the height of, I think the US is more sensitive to that stuff at that that point. was like i think 96 97 sometime yeah. in there it's it's actually later than i than than it seems start um, of it started yeah because like, okay, that's the start of stone cold yeah like arrival yeah, yeah. basically yeah but that stuff like it's I, I think that was another uh instance of something works but they took the wrong lesson from it and so well i mean i guess it kept working but uh they they ended up grasping on to the more sensational stuff without the uh as much quality of uh of uh performer or 
matches and stuff as as mm. you had with Austin and The Rock and stuff like that. So you ended up in get you ended up getting like really crass, weird ass shit going on in the early to mid two thousands and stuff. Like there, there's there was a, there was a, a whole storyline that was born out of real life where Matt Hardy and Lita had been a longtime couple. This is real life. And then Lita was cheating on Matt Hardy with Edge. And so then they broke up and then she was with Edge and then they worked it into the storyline and had Edge and Lita betray Matt Hardy and then like celebrate by having sex in the middle of the (laughs) ring. And it's like one of the most awkward things I've ever seen in my life. And to hear them both talk about it, they were like, this is the most awkward thing we've ever done in our entire life. And it's like, I can't imagine them doing anything like that now. Yeah. I was watching just recently. Like they literally had a bed set up in in the the middle of the ring. And like they were supposed to get under the covers and start throwing their clothes (laughs) off and shit. And it's like you're capitalizing on a legitimate relationship betrayal. (laughs) The the greatest mo- greatest moment ever was um I remember watching it was uh like Bossman and Big Show had a few Oh the best the best <laughs> and Boss- and, and in the in the in the the in the world of wrestling like Big Show's father dies and he's at the funeral yep. and Bossman runs up and hitches the casket of the dead father's uh, <laughs> body to like the back of his like Chevy 77 and drags the coffin off and Big Show runs after it and so jumps good. onto it and rides this coffin down through the through the cemetery as he's being pulled yep, yep. <laughs> fantastic every now and then you get one of those and you just have to stand up and clap I remember that thinking just like wow they're really it was also when I was like wow they're really trying to push boss man here like I don't, I don't know if this yeah. is boss man's time yeah. but they they want to really uh when you're when your finishing move is I'll lift my leg and you can run into my foot <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best not the best era although to close it out I was watching um modern stuff and I guess I'm I'm ignorant to it now but I was watching just clips of like recent Royal Rumbles and I mm-hmm. only know one percent of the people who are coming out of down the ramp oh, during sure. the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Everyone else couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. And I know yeah. I'm familiar with the attitude guys, but like I was watching the attitude stuff, I was like, all these guys have really like unique gimmicks, at least. Like everyone who was coming down in the recent Royal Rumbles was like semi attractive guy in boxer brief stuff you know like shave yeah, like it's yeah. it's like they all kind of look the same to me and i was like i don't i don't know what any of these guys are all about i remember noticing that um in the era that i stopped watching which was like i guess they call it the ruthless aggression era um which was like when john cena and randy orton and those and batista and all those guys came up and i remember yeah. throwing it on from time to time thinking the same thing where it's like these are all just guys with normal names who just aren't wearing clothes and yep. they all just kind of run together in your brain now. Cause it's, it's not like stone cold, Steve Austin or the Undertaker. rock or mankind. It's or undertaker. It's John Cena, Randy, Randy Orton, Orton, Dave <laughs> Batista. Yeah. Just, just, they're just guys, you know, big muscly yeah. guys and it all kind of runs together. Yeah. 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 So it is, it is cause, cause now I think that those guys are semi iconic. That's like the last of the group that yeah. I recognize as wrestlers and, yeah, I don't know. We're done. Thank you very much for listening to our <laughs> wrestling podcast. 
Uh, we're over with Star Trek Enterprise, all the other shows, thepenskefile.com, patreon.com slash thepenskefile if you want to support us there. We are done with Enterprise Season 3. We'll see you in Season 4. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you later. <laughs>